Praise be to God for joining us. Hopefully you had a good Christmas and New Year's, and we're taking a, a short pause in our study through Romans, and we're going through a series, All of Jesus for All of the World, highlighting some core values and, and just this mission that Jesus left us in the, the vision the Christian and Missionary Alliance is our, our network of churches, our denomination we're associated with, and, and they are committed to bringing all of Jesus to all of the world. And before I jump in, my, my baby sister had her, her daughter last night, so got some grandparents in the house. I'm a new uncle, so some of you know her, and it's, she's a couple days late, so everyone's been texting. Is, is she okay? Is everything good? She's okay. Baby's okay. Healthy, Abigail, so it's exciting. Um, and as we jump in, all the babies, families, we talk about kids' ministry. It's amazing to see each one of you here, because as we talk about the new year and new maybe goals or plans and families being added, and visitors. Every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And, and God's entrusted you here. And I want you to hear, as we see kids in the house, we hold tight to God's word. Because every single word in this speaks of the word, Jesus, who became flesh. And, and I love John's note that he's like, how am I going to start? What am I going to say in the, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh fully god fully man to to make sense of the husband and the wife and, and the son and the daughter and to give us a, a, a foundation and a purpose when we're connected to that truth and so as we start we have to start by defining terms as 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 elders and as we've met we've had to put terms down and definitions that we always have believed and we've always understood what a a husband is a man and a wife is a woman and we, we have to, we've always known those truths but as the culture changes all of a sudden we have to put that on paper and it's not that God's word changed but the culture did and the culture started asking questions about what's defined and so as we as we as a church define the the mission the vision what are we as a church what are we doing how do we do it I was telling my my kid and his friend about some stories, and I won't share the stories because some of them are actually legal, and you might ever not hear those stories. But we went from that into a sermon summary, and and so they're like, tell us stories about friends and stuff you did that was dumb and crazy. It's like, yeah, by God's grace, I've been saved, redeemed, and I don't do that anymore. Um, but we, we were like talking, and I said, you know, the interesting thing about church and, and the vision that, that God gave us when he said, hey, I'm leaving, and it's better for me to leave because the Holy Spirit's coming, and it's, you're going to do greater things than me, and in and, and, and John chapter 14, he's pumping them up, and he's like, but I'm out. It's going to be great. I'm going to the Father. The Father's greater. You get the Spirit. You're going to do greater things, and the disciples probably were looking like, you're looking like, uh, wait, what? Did I miss something? Like, uh, this wasn't part of the discipleship capstone end of the course where are we defining this and what's the church going to look like without jesus and and it's interesting as i shared with them i'm like you know it's it's like you're a baseball pitcher and you go to the mound and instead of taking the baseball you take you take a basketball and this is what culture's done with terms they've just decided well he's a pitcher and he he gets to decide whatever he wants this is the new baseball it's just 
This is the new definition of a baseball. We're going to use this now, and this is what we're going to call a baseball. And, and it, all of a sudden, it brings up disagreements, and it brings up divisions, and it brings up things that we're going to get into when Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. And then all of his discipleship to Paul, and Paul to Timothy, we see it's always contending and saying, hey, we, we care for people that are dividing the church and having different definitions. And we're going to do it with patience and gentleness because we, we pray for them. We hope they come back to the truth. But it's always and forever what Jesus talks about, love. And we have to define love based on God because God is love. And, and so quickly as humans, we can distort it and we can, we can redefine things. So we have to get back to the word and see that, that Jesus came for all all of the world and he came that all of the world would know him and he leaves us that very light-hearted easy hey for this new year we're going to bring all of jesus to all the world like no big deal should have it wrapped up by march if some complications happen hopefully by summer and we'll all go on a vacation it'll be great but jesus leaves us this this vision of hey i want you to take all of me to all of them you need a helper You need to understand my word. You need to actually stay connected to me. And so as a church, our our mission is is what Jesus prayed for us, that we would know God and to know him's eternal life. And so we exist for you personally to experience new life through Christ by knowing God and then helping you grow in relationship with God and others. And then going out and making disciples by helping you know God and then growing in that relationship with God and others so that you would go out and make disciples. As we see, what is a disciple? Growing up at churches as a kid, my first experience was was visiting churches. We moved to the area when I was in about kindergarten, so we visited just about every church and a couple of churches. We stayed out for a couple of weeks, and every time you were a visitor at churches, they would give you toys. They'd have like a big toy chest you could pick out. So I got like Hot Wheels and sticky hands, and I, for like, it was the greatest month of my life as a new Christian. Like it was awesome. We visited churches, and a couple of churches that we visited multiple times, they had a different Sunday school teacher each week. That's part of why I said, hey, we should probably have the same Sunday school teacher so that they know who's new. Because that new teacher every week thought I was new. So by the third week, all the kids hated me. Because I had three weeks of being the new kid and getting all the toys. And they didn't get any toys. So I had Hot Wheels, sticky hands I was hitting them with. And, the, and they are like, we, don't, we hate this kid. I'm like, hey, teacher, by the fourth week, I was like, hey, I'm not new. Like, I, I'm really, I've been here. Stop, this is actually not going well for me. But what is the church about? Is it new things for new people? Like, how do we behave as a church? What is, what is Christ's model and expectation for us as a church? We have to go to his word. And he actually doesn't say attend church or, or sit in a seat. He actually said, I'm building my church on this rock. And if you know anything about Caesarea Philippi, it, where he said that, he went on this missionary trip with his boys, which is why we need to be abiding in him and, and being in his word because we don't always understand the words he's saying, unless we understand the context and the cultural place in which he's saying it, it'd be like if, if Heidi and CJ said, hey, we're taking your, your, your kids, you know, discipling you and discipling your kids, we're going to take them to Las Vegas and, and so they can understand the cultural place that Jesus said, I'm building my church here on this rock. It was the rock they believed was the gateway to hell. And so he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. It, it was the most just like 
like greatest of all time goat thing to say, right? He's like, hey, this, this is actually what I'm going to tear down these lies, these falsehoods, these, these demonic and fearful beliefs, any anxiety that's in you, any fear that's in you, I'm going to extinguish it because I'm hope and I'm the victor and I'm building my church and it's not going to, it's not going to fail. It's not going to go away. In fact, it's, it's going to prevail against the enemy. It's the offense because he called us to be disciples. A disciple is one who would follow in the dust of the rabbi. They would walk so closely. They would eat where they sleep, eat where they eat, sleep where they sleep, and, and they would do everything with their rabbi. They would follow them so closely. So when he shows up and they're fishing and he says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He is redefining in that term, fishers of men was to, to catch people in their lies, to catch them in their, in their philosophies and sociological ideas of how society is and how the Big Bang happened and who did it and what did it and how is to catch them and bring them into the truth. It's to expose the darkness with light. And he's like, hey, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men, which means with their head, they had to believe who he is. With their heart, they had to be changed by Jesus. And with their hands, they had to join him in his mission. And so we define a disciple as a humble servant. Humbly saying, I'm not a fisher anymore of fish. I'm a fisher of men. I believe Jesus is God and, I, and I'm allowing him to change my heart. My heart desires him, not me and my will, but his will. And, and my hands are joined to his mission. So we define disciple this way as a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus. Are you a humble servant, fully devoted to following Jesus? How much time have you spent in God's word the past couple weeks? I know holidays, family, I got excuses too, right? But how much time? I got into the, the little Die Hard trilogy. I never realized I didn't watch many of them. And all of a sudden it's like, why am I watching all these movies? Pretty good. There's some bombs, explosions. But it's like, man, I watch all this and I'm like, man, this is a Christmas season. I'm all about Jesus, but now I'm all about, and there's that, oh my goodness, like, how much time have I spent on a screen not looking at Greek and Hebrew, not studying God's word? Is the 10, 15 minutes of my six chapters a day to stay in track of my LCC Bible app, Bible reading plan for the year, is that really studying? Is that really enough? Is my sermon prep, which I get kind of a unique thing, I get to prep, I get to study God's word for you to serve you, and there's a joy in that, and there's, there's treasures I get to keep that I, I can't always share everything, and sometimes I might overshare. You're like, was that for him or was that for me? Because I understand it. It probably was for me, so forgive me. But I, am I studying for my own? Am I keeping a close watch on my life? Because the, the reality of this sermon, when we talk about it, we see in Acts 11, 25 through 26, there's the public ministry that Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You see, my life, my private life, my wife knows it all. And she needs me to be a better follower so that I can be a better husband. My kids know it all. You can't fool your kids. If you're coming to church and you're not reading your Bible, they're not waking up seeing you read and, and pray, they know that you're not really following Jesus. They know you're following your own desires, your own plan, and then you show up on church on Sunday and they're like, yeah, this is kind of what we have to tolerate, one hour a week, but then we get to do whatever we want as, as often as we want because that's really how my parents are leading my family. So it's a, it's a very challenging 
sermon when you think about when Jesus says, are you abiding with me? Are you doing everything I've commanded you to do? Because we have to define the church and we have to define our relationship based on the truth, and that's Jesus and what he expects us, what he calls us to do. And the reason the disciples were always called a disciple because in their private life, it matched what they were preaching. When they said, hey, we're going to love God and love people, they were adopting all of the orphans. And, and all of Paul telling Timothy, hey, here's how the church should operate. We've got all these widows. We need to care for the widows and the orphans. And so for, for the years, I, I said, hey, we have single moms in our church. This is what scripture tells us to do. We should have a ministry for them. We should try and figure out what they need when they need tires or oil changes or, or how we can care for them financially or spiritually and, and support them. But we have to define it as a disciple. Are we actually being a disciple? Are we humble, putting others' needs before our own? I, not, I, never, t- I never heard about that as a kid growing up. It was always, are you, are, does Jesus love you? Have you accepted Jesus in your heart? I'm like, I don't know where he is. My heart seems really hard. I don't know who'd want to be there. And then realizing, oh, it's the Holy Spirit that's in me. God, the Father, has God the Son at his right side, and the Spirit's in me. John 14 you got to read that before we get into 15, but we're studying 15 today. He says, look, I'm the vine, the Father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear more fruit. The application of that as we, as we come here and, and have this definition, as we think about this, this statement that shared commitment and language creates culture. When we're committed to Christ... We allow him to prune us. When we have this commitment and this shared language, it's going to create our culture. And, and I didn't understand how important that was until I was reading and studying the New Testament and the consistent themes and the expectation of disciples and how, as a kid, going to, going to youth group, I was just trying to fit in, just trying to be with my friends. And I'll, I'll never forget we had this, the bottom lot of a Tascaro High School full of kids, hundreds of kids, and I'm trying to fit in and, and be with my friends and I just had these brand new bleach white K-Swisses that this older senior stepped on and now they're not white, they're kind of gray and I'm broken hearted and mourning and then youth pastor calls me, he's like, Brandon Hall! And I'm like, oh, this is great, awesome. This day is gone, couldn't get any worse. Now I'm in, brought up in front of hundreds of high schoolers and I'm a sophomore so I'm still trying to, I was like homeschooled for a lot of years so a little insecure trying to be, play it cool, but still, you know, crying a little bit inside for my shoes. And now I'm in front of the whole youth group. Like, what is going on? What did I do this time? Because I'm always like, I'm guilty. Like, I'm just, I always did something wrong. So I'm like, what did I do? I'm going to get humiliated for. So he's like, hey, there's a new kid. Go hang out with him. And I'm like, sweet. Like, what did I do wrong to get this punishment? Like, why am I hanging out with this guy? He's an introvert. He doesn't skate or surf. I don't know how to connect with him. I didn't realize that commitment in language creates culture. What he saw in me, I didn't see. He saw God doing something in me and, and saw, hey, this is a guy I can trust who's not going to be a jerk to this kid. Leave him alone or punch him in the face. Most high schoolers would have done one of the three. I don't know. So he's like, hey, this guy's probably not half bad. I didn't realize that as a high schooler. And no one sat me down and said, hey, his needs are more important than yours. This is what humility is about. And if you're committed to Christ, if you're a disciple, then you're going to care for him and you're going to be his friend and befriend him because Jesus befriended sinners. He sat with sinners. He ate with sinners. He came to serve, not be served. I thought church and youth group was all about me and was supposed to serve me. And I was going to fit in with friends and have a great time at Hume Lake. We're going to be great. But every year God put me in a cabin with, with random people, not my friends. And I was like, why are you doing this, Lord? What have I done? 
well, it's, I wanted to teach you about humility. I wanted to teach you about serving other people. But when we grow up going to church, we don't know what church is. We don't know what God's called us to. He's building the church. He's called you to be disciples. It was in Antioch the first time the world made fun of them and said, hey, you're just like little Christs. You're a, you're a disciple of Jesus. You talk like Jesus. You think like Jesus. You're humble. You're caring for people. You're fully devoted. Your language and, and your commitment is about Jesus. We're going to call you little Christs. We're going to call you Christians. We're going to make fun of you. They were disciples. Because they were so committed, because they shared the language, they had that culture that was so Christ-like, they were called like Christ. Little Christ they were called Christians, little Christ. And, and we've grabbed onto that and we forgot the disciple, we forgot the culture, we forgot the commitment. And so that's why every year we want to remind ourselves of these biblical definitions of what Christ called us to, not what the culture is, is, is defining us by. And it's true, we should be little Christs. We're being changed by Jesus from the inside out. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment over and over and over. Jesus discipled Paul, and Paul's telling us, Jesus wants a united church. He wants a united bride. He doesn't want divisions or distractions. And the one thing Satan's trying to do in the church because he attends church, wants to divide and distract and distort God's word. And Jesus said, I want all of me to go to all the world, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, everything that Jesus commanded. We have to obey. And we're supposed to teach others to believe it and obey it. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the encouragement, is Jesus is always with us. In Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. People are called to go to the remotest parts of the earth. I'm, I'm gathering that, that you probably haven't been called yet, but... That's not off the table. doesn't matter age or stage, right? God can still call you. As, as we train you up, as we equip you, the Spirit might be preparing you to go. And it might be a short-term encouragement, or it might be a, hey, I'm, a, I'm going. But the, the point is, in Jerusalem, in Atascadero, in Templeton, in Paso, the point is your neighborhood. Are you, are you hanging out and doing ministry there? Are you on mission there? Because... Jesus came in that relational model saying, look, it's about me, Jesus. It's about being in prayer and it's about studying your word, my word. It's about studying the Bible and not just to read it, but to actually live it. Is it real? Is it realized by you? When you read God's word, do you realize it? Is it coming out of you? It's been said of, of you know, one of the, the great preachers that if you, if you cut him, scripture would bleed out of him because he was just so full of God's word. And it's, it's that, that's my aim. Every time I'm hungry or depressed or anxious, I read God's word and there's this just immediate filling. When, when Jesus says man doesn't live on bread alone, but on the very words of God, it's that Holy Spirit that, that comes upon you and that needs the word to continue to strengthen you and build you up and renew your mind. And Paul tells us, letting the cat out of the bag, is if you're going to join us through our Roman series in a couple weeks, in Romans 12, that you need to be renewing your mind testing and approving what God's will is, 
his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the only way that happens is if you're in God's word. And Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not you doing the work. It's my spirit in you, empowering you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. So, so the what of discipleship. How does discipleship take place? We've defined, we're bringing all of Jesus to all the world. As a local church, how are we making disciples that make disciples? I always was taught, when I, when I realized and rediscovered we're supposed to be disciples, share, share the gospel. And I waited for the share moment. I don't know if you're still waiting for your share moment. I was like, man, I'm just waiting for the share moment. I know one day they're going to call me and they're going to say, hey, Brandon, you know, like, like that we used to fill, we have a whole stadium full of youth and your youth pastor, we see, can you come and share the gospel? And I'd be like, yes, I'll be there. I was waiting for the share moment. That never came. But my share moments looked a little different than like a stadium. And maybe for you, you're like waiting for the share moment or you walk into the office and it's this like Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit inspired moment. Everyone drops what they're doing, hangs up the phone, looks at you and everyone in their cubicles, you share the gospel and everyone's saved. Is that, is that share moment you, ha- you, you dream of? Maybe you're on a job site and you're, a couple of your, your buddies, you know, you stop work after lunch and you share the gospel and they all get saved. Or maybe it's a client you know, they're down, depressed, and they're like, I need Jesus. And they're like, here's Jesus. God created you. You sinned. Jesus came to save you. Repent, believe. And there's your share moment. But there's that weight and that burden of like sharing the gospel at the gas station and being made fun of. It's like, all right, well, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and get in my car and drive away. There's my share moment. But there's amazing share moments. One was in, in Costa Rica where I was like, man, there's epic surf. There's a couple adult leaders that can hang with the kids, but I'm the youth pastor, only been there for two months. Is this really responsible of me in my 20s to just bounce and go surf? Like, that seems really irresponsible. So they said, no, we got it. We're good. Go. So I rented a board, went and surfed. And the whole time I felt really guilty and just torn up. Like, man, I feel like I'm abandoning these. Like, what happens if a kid gets hurt? And they're like, where's the youth pastor? Oh, he's surfing. Oh, great. We could totally trust this guy to take our kids out of the country. Super responsible classic surfer move, right? And so on the way back, I'm like, how do I redeem this time? I had some epic waves, but still, you know, and I see these hitchhikers and my immediately was like, hitchhikers, pick them up. If you've seen the movie, you get the reference, uh, Dumb and Dumber. And it was a little Holy Spirit inspired. It wasn't all just from the movie. I had my friend with me who was amazing Spanish speaker. So I was like, perfect. I don't have to rely on my Spanglish or the gift of tongues. Like we have the gift of tongues. He can translate it, share the gospel with these people. So a, a, a lady from the UK and a, and a Muslim from the Middle East get in the car. And I'm like, share moment, yeah! So I share the gospel. I got them stuck in my car for five minutes. And she's like, all right, whatever. You can believe what you want. I don't believe in God. And he's like, actually. And so he's finishing every sentence about God and about us as sinners. He's like, yeah, totally, we're sinners. I'm, I'm seeking, I have a Muslim background, but I'm kind of open, looking for truth. Well, Jesus is the truth. And so I introduced from... Isaac and Ishmael, and then went to, to David, and, and Jesus is David's son, you know, son and the, the lineage, and he's going to reign forever, the king of kings, and he's your savior. If you believe and confess that he's Lord, you'll be saved. And he's like, dude, totally. It's like, wow, there's the share moment. He saved. And they got out of the car. And I tell that story because so many of us, we look for that share moment. And sometimes God puts that. He opens the door, and he's like, perfect. You're willing, you're equipped, you're ready, and here's the person, share. But oftentimes, and more realistically, we have relationships. And that's what Jesus came into and spent three years modeling this relational 
commitment to people. And, and so the share moment really, really happens sometimes spontaneous, but other times when we, we back it up, this, this acronym in your notes, bless. To begin in prayer, to listen, to eat, to serve each other, and then you share. The, the blessed method, that, that, that practice of beginning in prayer, the more I read scripture, the more I see Jesus starting and ending his day in prayer. He didn't teach his disciples how to preach. He didn't say, hey guys, I'm basing my ministry off the wisdom of Solomon. He had all this content he wrote, all these cool, wise things, and put that out first, and then look at all these things he did. I'm doing one miracle a day. If I can do two miracles a day, maybe 2.5, and, and you guys go out two by two and really get the press, and we'll get 1,000 views to 2,000 views, and here's our marketing strategy. That's not what Jesus did. He prayed. He didn't say, okay, here's how to preach. And when you guys go preach this, and you preach that, we'll get this and do this, and here's the, the, the gift of this. and the gift. No, he's like, here's how to pray. And the disciples were tuned in because they saw Jesus praying so often before and after the ministry. And Jesus said, I'm never going to say anything or do anything unless I hear from my father first because he's in prayer. And so it should help us as we want to obey Christ as the church and, and disciples, we begin in prayer. Who are you going to bring to me today? God, who needs to hear of your love? Who needs to hear of your hope? that you're not done with them, that you have a plan to save and redeem and restore them. I'm going to pray for my neighbor, pray for a coworker, pray for a friend. And then when you get that interaction, really listen and, and listen for open doors to, to talk about Jesus and, and introduce, hey, would you mind sharing? If I shared with you about Jesus, would you mind hearing about God's love for you? And then, and then eat and have a meal. Jesus sat with sinners. He ate with sinners. He was a friend to sinners. And there's something that happens when you're eating and engaging in a meal that our culture so individualistic, fast food, we're like barely even going through fast food anymore. We just have like old McDonald's or Taco Bell behind the seat, you know, rip that out and don't even have time to stop and get a fresh one. Just load up on some tacos for a couple days. It's like, dude, what is going on? When I was in the Middle East, we like ran in, literally it was like Pozo. If you just like parked at someone's house and rolled in and they're like stopped everything and put like ribs on. And we're like, we're just gonna have ribs. It's, you're here, I don't, nice to meet you, cool, we're gonna have ribs for dinner tonight. That's their culture. They didn't have ribs, they had tea. It was a little different, but uh, trying to contextualize it for you guys, because I, I think that's how honored, you know, tea is in that culture. It was like, hey, we're, we, we got ribs for you on the grill, should be ready in five hours, let's just hang out. That was how it was. It was like, you want more tea? We're just gonna have tea for as long as you're here. We're just done for the day. We're just hanging out with you which that would freak some of you out. I know it probably, you know, that's kind of, I was like, this is my people. This is awesome. We're not, we're just kind of hanging out and talking and in that hospitality of eating is what Jesus came to say, hey, I'm not about you reading and memorizing just to hear God's word. It's about, is it real in your life? Are you able to realize it? When you abide with me and I with you, are you having this kind of communion with me that you're going to have that communion with others? So that when you're having a meal, things come up and you're like, oh, how's it going? Oh man, it's stressed out. The rains came, knocked over my fence. I don't even know what to do. I can't afford to hire. Well, I know how to, I have a post hole digger. I got a post. I got, we'll go to the depot, get some concrete. We'll throw it in. We'll fix your fence and serve one another over a meal. Things come up, needs come up and to serve one another. And then, then we have the share time. Then you get to share the gospel. 
you've begun in prayer, you've listened to them, maybe there's a meal shared, maybe you're serving one another, and then there's some trust built, some relationship built, and then, hey, can I share with you the hope I have in Christ? Can I share with you, man, the joy or, or the purpose or the wisdom of God's word? It sounds like you're kind of lost. Can I help give you some direction? And it's hard. God's word's never like, oh, that's easy. That's what I was already doing. Because we're naturally sinners going our own way and making it more complicated. It's, it's clear, but it's always challenging to obey God's word. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And that's why this last point, the last couple points connect with us, where Jesus comes to connect with us, to give himself to serve and not be served, and to teach us through a relationship model, which the church has, has really just said, hey, attend the building, get people here. Instead, we want to switch it and look at what Jesus called the church to do and go. Said, no, grow in relationship and then go and share the hope. Go in ministry and bring the ministry of reconciliation. Go and serve others. And that's where training to minister. So we share, connect with Jesus and others, and then train to minister, not be attenders or consumers, but go and be ministers. And the last thing is being sent out to make disciples together, which is a beautiful picture because when we see Jesus say, I'm the vine. And my father's the vine dresser. And this last week when we were heading up to our cabin, I looked over and I saw all the vine dressers out in the vineyard cutting back all the dead branches and pruning the good ones so they'd bear more fruit. It's an amazing uh, place we live. You know, Sometimes it's hard to describe people where geographically we're located. But it's always interesting when people have been here, their eyes light up. And they're like, oh, you live on the central coast. It's the most beautiful place. Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, the water... The water could be a little warmer for surfers, but everything else, the size, is really nice. Like, it's awesome. Uh, it might get more sharks here, but that's another story. But you see the vine, the vine dressers and all the vineyards, and you get this image that Jesus paints because especially those that own and produce and are in the wine industry, you want, you want the vine to have legit branches. No one's like, oh, we just have a small, we're a pretty, you know, small operation. We have like one little vine, has a few branches Jesus is always talking about abundance and much in the sense of when you follow me, it's going to go well with you. Not in the sense of monetarily personal, but in God's kingdom, he's going to use you to do greater things than he did because he's in you accomplishing it through you. And so he's like, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he's going to take away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it bear more fruit. He doesn't want you to be a defeated Christian, but a conquering Christian. He wants you to have this commitment to him and the language that would create the culture that would keep building each other up. And he says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. The power of God's word is like, you're already clean. You know the truth. You've heard the word. That's the power of being in God's word daily, of, of renewing your mind to test and approve of what God's will is. Bonhoeffer, I was reading in, a, in the books bigger than I can stretch my fingers, so I had to get on Audible because I have ADD and I can't sit and focus that long. And I finally was, got through after a year, three quarters of it, and it got to the point where it was talking about Bonhoeffer in prison, and he was delighting in the time he had to work on his kind of masterpiece work on ethics. And he said, you know, we always talk about how do we do this or what's the right thing to do in this situation? And he says, those are the wrong questions. And I was like, okay, good, because that's a whole long conversation. He said, we need to ask, what is God's will? It's like, perfect, because scripture answers that. What is God's will? By the renewing of your mind, you, you'd, you'd cleanse your mind. 
by using God's word to test and approve what, what God's will is in your life. If you're not in God's word, then you have no basis to test and approve what's true and what's not. When Paul rolled in and, and some people called Bereans heard what Paul had to say about the gospel and they're like, dude, this guy's lying. This guy's full of it. We have to work. We have to earn our salvation. Ah, and they read the scriptures and they tested based on God's word and they came back and they're like, Paul, dude, you're legit. This, this guy's tr- telling us the truth. This is awesome because we searched the scriptures and we tested and approved. And so it's not an arrogant or boastful, but it's a humble and it's commanded that we would know God's word and we would test what's being said because Jesus says, look, you're already clean because what I'm telling you is true. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's this continual remaining with Christ. The illustration breaks down a little bit because not all branches have the ability to like stay on the vine. Some of them, like in this illustration, we want to, but then we're not. So we're not going to go down that path till the end. You got to hang on to the end. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no purpose apart from Christ. In Genesis, we see that the God spoke, God the Father spoke, the Spirit was hovering over the waters and the word that became flesh, fully God, fully man. Everything, Paul tells us in Colossians, was made through Jesus, by Jesus, and it was all for Jesus. You and I are made for him, so he's saying, look, your purpose is found in me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That's the the reality that that breaks our heart, because some of your friends your family, your siblings, your son or daughter, they're, they're yet to trust in Christ. And, and you're wondering and you're waiting and you're praying for them and, and that breaks our heart and it weeps. And, and we're gonna see in a couple weeks when we get into Romans 9, Paul's like, man, you guys aren't bearing fruit and it looks like you're a branch on the ground. I wanna trade places with you. I wanna be the branch on the ground and I want you to be the branch abiding in Christ. That's the deep love that gospel disciples have for the unbeliever. When you read Paul and he's so dry and direct, but then you hear his heart and he's like, I'll switch places with you. I'll go to hell and you can go to heaven. That's how much I love you and desire for you to know God's love. And he's saying, look, Jesus is saying, look, there's a, there's a real consequence if you don't believe now. Don't wait. Believe today. You don't have tomorrow as a promise. Believe now so that you can have your purpose fulfilled in Christ and bear much fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many times have you seen that in your life or heard stories where you're putting God's kingdom first and you're pursuing him? I mean, story after story, one I was reading of a a missionary that was $150,000 short and, and he had a missions organization. So it wasn't just him, but he had to pay the salaries and, and pay for all these missionaries that he had promised to support. And their organization was short, 150000 on December 31st, and he's studying, and his financial advisor comes in. The end of the year is closing. He's 150000 short, and the guy comes in and goes, hey, we got a check for $60,000. Just came in. He's like, oh, great. So he goes back to studying and praying, and the next hour goes by and knock on the door. Hey, we just got another check, $150,000. And he's like, wait, what? Like, was it 60 plus? He's like, no, two separate donations, one for 60, one for 150. And, and they, in total, on that day, they came in $350,000. God brought in more, even abundantly beyond what they needed. And he's like, I got you. 
Like you're putting my kingdom first. Why am I going to abandon you? Why am I going to leave you? And it says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you prove to be my disciples. Disciples. He doesn't say you prove to me my you prove to be my church attenders. He doesn't say you prove to be thinkers of God or readers of God's word. You, you prove to be my disciples who are doers of God's word. That's why in James, he's like, don't just listen to it, but be doers of it. And that's when you get to see the fruit and that's when you get to see your dependence on the Holy Spirit. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The thought there on commandments, when you hear about the law of God or the commandments, many people have said, wait a minute, I thought we're free from the law. I thought we're free from the commandments. What, why is this burden you're putting back on us, pastor? Why are you talking about commands we have to obey? And whenever people ask that, I say, okay, well, what commands do you want to, to not obey? Like, do you want to go take your neighbor's wife? Do you want to go murder someone? Do you want to go steal? And I know people in California are like, well, under $1,000, we're good to go now. We can steal. It's fine. As long as we don't get, we're good. Like, no, God's word still don't steal. Like, if you know a local business you want to support, don't do that. God has a plan and a purpose, and his commandments are actually for your and others' human flourishing. Do you want to have other gods before God? Well, no, I want Jesus as the one true God. Well, then, yeah, then what do you, why do you not want to obey his commands? We have his spirit now, so our heart and our desire is actually to obey the law and obey his commands because Jesus has fulfilled the law that the, the sacrifice needed to pay for our sin has already been given it's already been paid the work on the cross by Jesus ended the sacrificial system it ended the the sacrifices in the holy of holies because his spirit came out of the holy of holies and came into everyone who believes that we would bear much fruit and we see in Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about the church again and saying, okay, that's what Jesus accomplished and did for the church's sake. And he says in verse 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the purpose of church leadership is to start churches and equip churches to disciple them and equip the saints for the work of ministry by building up the body of Christ. And how do we do that together? until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. That's why it's all of Jesus for all the world. As a church, we need to understand all of Jesus and build each other up in understanding Jesus and not going past Jesus or coming short of Jesus. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Jesus is always the object. Jesus' deity is always what is up for discussion with cults or false teachers. They always want to take away Jesus' deity. One of the, the new teachings from false teachers now is that Jesus was God and then he stopped being God when he became man. So a lot of people on TV, a lot of YouTube pastor, televangelist people, even that have kind of flown under the radar from not teaching heresy for years are now teaching that Jesus stopped being God, but because he had a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit was in him, he could do godly things, the miracles, and, but they don't, they don't 
unpack what scripture tells us that Jesus rose from the dead, fully God, fully man, and is now in eternity in the resurrected body. And so we have scripture in Colossians that talks about that. And so we have, we have a false teaching. And, and the interesting thing is our day to day, when you read the New Testament, it's the same thing Paul was dealing with. Galatians, if I or someone else comes to you and brings a different gospel, don't listen to it. He's telling Timothy, make sure you're reading the Bible in public, which a lot of churches don't do apparently because people visit and are like, wow, pastor, you read the Bible a lot and you have read. It's like, yeah, this is it. Like if I go from this, then I'm done and you're done and I lose and you lose and I get a stricter judgment. So selfishly, I'm just going to hold tight to the gospel. And because I care for your souls, the most important thing is our salvation in Jesus. The most important thing is our savior. The most important thing is understanding rightly Jesus and in love, building each other up. So that's on me and it's on you as disciples in the church to abide in Christ, that we would bear much fruit. Because I don't want you, a lame, weak little branch, fall. I want my, my vision, gift, and passion, and love, and joy is like, man, I want your joy complete, what Jesus says here. If you do my commands, my joy is gonna be filled up in you, and you're gonna bear much fruit, and it's gonna be awesome, and you're gonna have a successful marriage and family because you kept it according to my word. And you're willing to be looked at weird by the culture. You're willing to, to lose in, in the public square because you're winning for Jesus. Because even the most godly woman or man who stays quiet because of their behavior, when there's a coarse joke at work and they, and they don't engage, but they disengage, that's enough to get rebuke. That's enough to get shunned. And so we see here in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus is concerned with the gospel and his church being built in unity. And he discipled Paul that way. And then Paul's discipling and founding these churches and, and instructing the churches, make sure you're building each other up in love. Which means as a disciple, we're humble. We're coming to church to serve each other, not to be served. And we're, we're fully devoted and committed to following Jesus in making disciples who make disciples. And so if maybe your calling is kids ministry, or maybe you're, you're feeling like, man, we need to be a part of youth ministry. I need to disciple some middle school and high schoolers because that period of my life was rough and I needed someone to disciple me. Or maybe it's being in a discipleship one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. You're like, man, I, I need to understand the basics. I, I haven't heard anything about sanctification being positional and progressive. That's new to me. I need someone to explain some of that. Like, so I'm saved and I'm good positionally, but then this progressive growth that really we see here in, in abiding. Jesus is saying, look, if you remain in me and I in you, then progressively you're going to look more like me, think like me, talk like me, and there's going to be more fruit in your life than you'd ever think, hope, or imagine. Is that a reality in your life? Are you sitting here going, yeah, man, I'm bursting at the seams. I, I'm, I'm having to say no to ministry and people are always asking me, how do I grow and do I have time for them? That's my prayer and hope for you as we commit to studying God's word this year, as you commit to abiding in Christ daily in his word, not so that you can check it off on your reading plan, but that you can experience the reality of that transformation. Because so often in our lives, we, we get distracted or we stray from God's word and then all of a sudden, we're believing things or hearing things and we don't have God's word to, to test it against. 
And then we get stuck, and then we read God's word, and it's like this fresh stream in a dry desert, and it's wonderful. Or maybe we, we show up on the pitcher's mound with this, and we're like, this is the baseball, and everyone's looking at you like, dude, what's wrong with you? You're like, oh, what? Help me define what? Oh, this is the baseball. Okay, this is true. But that only happens when God's word is, is renewing your mind and transforming your thoughts. And so, as we end... It's knowing God's word because when Joshua said, hey, don't depart from the law of Moses. Don't turn to the right or to the left. I think for most of us, if we're honest, we don't know what the law is. So we might have turned to the right, who knows how long. We might be in the left, who knows for how many seasons. But unless we know the law, unless we know God's word, and unless we know what's true, then we can walk with Jesus and follow him. And I want to encourage you because as I talk to so many Christians, even about Bible reading or New Year or, or ministry and serving and bearing much fruit, like these are all great thoughts, Pastor. This is all good. It's God's word. But here's the reality is I don't feel like I know God's will. I don't feel like I know what I'm called to do. I don't feel like I'm good. I don't feel like I'm loved. I feel like my life's been a train wreck. And when I get to heaven, sure, I, I believe I'm saved, but I think I'm just going to meet Jesus with folded arms and a frown on his face and just... Man, I'm disappointed in you. And that's a lie. Because it's taking, again, it's attacking the person and work of Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. He's coming to save you. He's coming to renew you. He's coming to restore you. All of the the deaf are going to hear. All the blind are going to see. All the lame are going to leap and dance and rejoice. All good things. He's making the sad come untrue. And when Jesus sees you, look at the cross. He said, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've I've removed your sin from you if you believe upon me. He delights in you. He loves you. He's for you. And he wants to sit with you. He wants to share all this good plans and purpose he has for you. That's why he's saying, hey, abide in me. And I in you. And, And in the Greek, the scholars tell us it's the Father's perfect and continual love that the Father has for Jesus. It's that perfect and continual love that that the Father has for you who believe and have received Jesus. It's not a works-based. It's not based on your performance. It's based on you understanding. It's not how much you love him. It's how much he loved you. That's why Paul tells us in Romans, by this we know God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It's this perfect and continual love that God has for you and for me. So if we miss a day in our Bible reading, it's okay. Mercies are new every day. But his love is for you. Whatever relational, marital, friendship, financial, whatever challenge you're in, God's for you. And he's saying, come, abide in me, sit with me. I'm going to do the work in and through you and for you. In the end of 2 Thessalonians, it says, God is faithful to finish the sanctification to, to bring you into that holy, ready posture to meet him. And he's going to see you and with arms open wide and a smile, delight to see you in heaven, ready to embrace your Savior. So as we close, I want you to have that picture. Because so often when we come to God's word, I, I'm guilty of that too. Just feeling like, man, I'm not enough. I didn't do this. I didn't spend three hours in God's word t- this week. How's God going to bless and anoint the, the preaching? And it's like, well, God's anointed his word. And it's God's love for me that can flow through me to you. It's not based on my ability. It's based on his work on the cross. So no matter 
where you are or what you've done, God says, I know, I love you, I've forgiven that, and I'm here to make you new. You're a new creation. I'm here to remind you of your new identity in me. So as the elements are passed now, I want you to, to receive these and, and think upon the work that Jesus finished on the cross. It's his work, it's his love for you that you can't improve or diminish. It's perfect and it's continual and it will, will always be for you. And the beautiful thing is he says, if you keep my commandments, so you, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants your joy to be full. He doesn't want you to be lacking in anything. He wants you to be full of joy, bearing fruit, doing the good works for God's glory and for the good of those around you, including you. And that's what he has planned for you this year. And the condition and the command is, are you abiding in God's word? Are you gonna remain in God's word? Are you gonna fix your eyes on Jesus? When you sin, are you gonna quickly repent and turn to him like David did? Oh man, wretched man that I am. I can't believe I'm that gross of a sinner and I killed the guy who I slept with his wife and got her pregnant. But God said of him, he's a man after my own heart because he repented quickly. It's not the fact that we're without sin, it's that we trust that Jesus paid for it. And that's why we take communion. Will you close in prayer with me? God, we thank you for your work, your finished work. There's nothing left for us to do. It's already been done by you on the cross. We pray as we receive that, that we would understand it's your love for us, Father, not our love for you, that would compel us and move us to bless others, to begin in prayer, to listen, to eat, to serve, and then share and connect them with you and train them for ministry and then release to go and make disciples. Lord, may we see a church full of disciples who are making disciples. We see people turn from their sin and turn to their Savior and be made new again, Lord, that we'd have a hunger and desire for you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.